If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We, uh, <laughs> chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look today at Jesus and the soil. Jesus and the soil. As you're turning there, some of you may appreciate this. Some of you may not. If you don't, well, talk to the Lord about it. It'll be fine. You can talk with him about it. Um, A minister decided that a visual demonstration would add an emphasis to his Sunday sermons. Four, he comes into the sanctuary with four jars. Each jar had a worm in it. Now, in the first jar with the worm in it, it was filled with alcohol. The second jar with the worm in it, it was filled with cigarette smoke. In the third jar with the worm in it, it was filled with chocolate syrup. In the fourth jar with the worm in it, it was filled with good soil. The minister went on to preach his message. And at the conclusion of the message, he reported the results of what took place in the jar. In the first jar, the worm that was in alcohol was dead. In the second jar, the worm that was filled with smoke was dead. In the third jar, with the worm filled with chocolate syrup, the worm was dead. However, in the fourth jar, with the good soil around it, the worm was alive. So the minister asked, The congregation, what have you learned from this? And an old lady in the back, she responded like this, that as long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you won't have worms. I think they call that critical thinking. <laughs> well, uh, today, <laughs> we want to focus our attention on Jesus, the first parable that we find recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and you know I don't normally read this many verses, but we're going to read it today, verses 1 through 20, as we look at the parable of the sower. The Bible says this, And again, he began to teach by the sea. And the great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in, in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables. 
and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up and because it had no depth of, of earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. Some, and he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and care, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. This is God's holy word. God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who reveals truth to us. Open our hearts and minds this day to where we would receive your truth and help us, God, to not only receive it but apply it to our lives, to where our lives would be used for your glory. God, if there's any here who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, speak to them. Allow your Holy Spirit to minister to them in the midst of this message. And God, help them to see their need for a Savior and to call out today, what must I do to be saved? Oh, God, we need you this day. We need you to move and minister upon us. And as you do, we'll praise you and give you glory for all that you do. For it's for Jesus' sake we ask this. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We, we understand Jesus has been teaching. And last week we learned that he had been teaching a multitude when his brothers and his mother showed up. 
And they stood outside of the gathering of this large group of people who had come to hear him teach. And someone let him know that his brother and his mother was there. And, and Jesus said, well, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? And, and then he shares with them after the shock is all over their face. He says, those who do the will of my father, those are my brother and my sister and my mother. This had to be very stunning to this group of people as they're listening. However, it's safe to assume that they just didn't fully understand. They didn't know what he was actually saying. And so now again, we find Jesus is teaching a multitude. This time he's teaching by the sea. This multitude that had gathered was a great multitude. And the word for great here, it simply means very great. It wasn't just that it was a large group of people, but it was a very large group of people. This multitude was so great that they pressed upon him and he was forced into a boat. And while the multitude sat on the seashore, some may have been standing, some may have been sitting, but he was in a boat pushed out into the water and they, they were listening from the seashore. This lets me know that the acoustics there in that area had to be great. Or they were definitely quiet so they could hear every word he could say. Well, at this point, at this time, Mark here, he introduces us to Jesus' teaching in the form of a parable. A parable is a story or an illustration that is used as a, to compare uh, maybe some earthly event to some spiritual pra- uh, principle or some earthly truth to some spiritual principle. Uh, When teaching parables, we recognize multiple principles can be drawn from the parable. However, when Jesus taught them, usually there was just one point he was really trying to make. One thing that he was really wanting everyone to get. And we may even ask the question, why? Why would Jesus teach through parables? Well, verses 10, uh, we see probably the same question being asked. When we look there in verse 10, we, we see there were some, but there were some who, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked about the parable. So it, so it seems like the great multitude had dispersed and at this point, and there were some that were there along with the disciples. And they were asking about this. And Jesus, he answers them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Why to them? Because they were receptive to what he had to say. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive. Hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn And their sins be forgiven them. It's as if Jesus is saying to them, they don't want to hear what I have to say. And because they don't want to hear what I have to say, they don't need this understanding. But you who are here, you you really want to hear. And you want to know. So you're able to understand what 
is being said in the parable. Here Jesus is speaking of two different groups here. He's saying that those who are disciples, they're going to understand his teaching. But, but those who are outside, those who are lost, they're not going to understand. Why will some understand and others not? Because his disciples are receptive and open to his truths that he reveals. But his truth is concealed to those who reject him. Those who close their mind off to what he says. We're going to get back to this in a minute. Just, just let the Lord speak to you about that. Because what we find in this passage, if people aren't receptive to the seed that's being sown, that lets us know that there's a challenge for the sower. The sower has a challenge, and he shares this with us here. Jesus begins sharing this simple agricultural story of sowing seed. The practical points of the story, many there would have understood. But there were some spiritual truths that, they were going to, that many were going to miss. Jesus said that a sower went out to sow. In other words, he went out to throw seed, to sow seed. And we have to picture this in a time when, when there was no modern machinery around to aid in farming. You know, farming uh, back then is very different than it is right now. Some of you farmed when you didn't have the machinery that they have today. But still, farming was different back then than it was when you farmed. You know, some of you know what it's like to use a cropper. Uh, as you're cropping tobacco, uh, a harvester, maybe you call it. But the only thing I've ever known was cropping on feet. I've never even seen a harvester. I wouldn't know what it looked like if I walked up on it because we didn't have the land that y'all have here in Fairmont back in Pembroke. They didn't have that. Kind. They might have it in Prospect. They won't give you none of that. They won't let you. If you're not from Prospect, you can't, you can't farm that land. <laughs> Y'all think I'm foolish. If you ain't from rolling in Fairmont, you ain't having this land either. <laughs> yeah. And matter of fact, you better be part of the right family. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. We didn't have this kind of land in, in, in Pembroke. I've never, I've never seen a harvester. Every time we cropped the back, we, used, we were on our feet. We weren't sitting down. Yeah. It was different. <laughs> it was different. This is before modern machinery. <sighs> so if you picture this, you have a sower with a bag of seed in one hand. And with the other hand, he's sowing the seed. You got that in your mind? He's just sowing the seed. <sighs> What we know is when this happens, as seeds been throwing, as seeds being scattered, some's going to go outside of the bound or the border of the field. Because you got to cover the field, right? 
So some, the Bible tells us here, goes by the wayside. What this wayside is, is a roadway. It's where it has the, the ground hasn't been plowed. It's, it's hard and, it, and people are walking on this road. And between the road, and you know this, between the road and the field, there's this rocky area. This area that it might have been plowed, but it wasn't meant to be planted. Well, you have these couple areas here and seed is thrown out. Some would say, well, well, that's a waste. That's just a waste. Well, you know, farmers, they take in, in consideration of the waste. And so they are scattering seeds, some on stony ground, some thrown by the wayside. These are places where the seed cannot take root and grow and flourish. Many see it as a waste. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy, and a waste of resources in the eyes of so many. But the truth is it's not a waste because in order to cover the land, you've got to sow it. And some of the seed's just going to go beyond the bounds. So when scattering by hand, if, if it reaches over the borders, that's okay as long as it gets to the border. This poses another challenge for the sower. The soil in the field is not all the same. Preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I do. I've done power line work. And what we've done, and some of these boys in here who's done power line work will understand, we could set a pole right here at the edge of this property. And when we got ready to fill the, set the pole in the hole and fill up this six-foot hole that we've dug, we would have two foot of dirt piled up up on the, on the, uh, on the pole. Then we go down 150, 200 feet, and we, we dig another hole six foot deep, set the same size pole in there, and you don't have enough of dirt to fill up the hole. So the soil all across the field is not the same. This poses another problem. We may think it does because it looks like everything's the same. But it does, but it's not. You know, you can get to some areas of the field if you go out and you can see where the plants aren't as good or as nourished as the others. So there are areas in the field where you where seed was thrown out that didn't really it took root. However, there was something underneath. Maybe when the field was plowed, all the roots underneath weren't 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 got hadn't got come up very well and, and some some of those roots and they, they gather around this plant and it starts to choke out the fruit from it. So the plant grows but there's no fruit there. The thorns and the thistles, they grab hold of it and won't let it flourish. But then there is soil that is good soil. And when the seed goes out, it produces good fruit. But again, the soil is not constant. It's not evenly, it's not even all across because some of it bears 30%. Some bears 60%, some bear 100% of fruit. But it's bearing fruit. It's just not all bearing the same. <laughs> well, Jesus recognizes the confusion upon these disciples because they begin to ask questions. They were not sure what he was trying to teach them in this parable. 
So Jesus shares with them the condition of the soil. Jesus emphasizes the differences in the soil while applying it to the reality of those who are listening. As he applies this, he likens the soil to people who hear the word of God. And the word of God is the seed that is sown. So Jesus shows uh, that how people respond to the word of God is an indication of the condition of the soil or the condition of their heart. So he speaks of the soil, so, or as he speaks of the soil, he's speaking of the heart of each person who was there. The seed that fell on the wayside represents an unplowed or hardened heart. This person hears the word of God. This person may even attend church on a regular basis. This person may believe in Jesus Christ and respect the pastor and respect everything that the church is doing in the name of Jesus. But the person pays little attention to the promises and the warnings found in the scriptures. So this person will choose, uh, it will choose to believe, the, uh, choose not to believe and the devil just comes by before he can believe anything and just snatches that seed away. You know there, in Isaiah 6, we find God asked who Shall I sin to go for us? The prophet Isaiah responded by saying, Here I am, send me. And God said in Isaiah, Go and tell this people <laughs> just what Jesus said here. He said, Go and tell this, these people, Keep on hearing and do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy, shut their eyes. You know what we, we really got to understand is, is that there are folks on the outside, folks who, who are refusing to receive Jesus, folks who are determined they're going to reject Jesus. They may come and they may look like they're interested, but they're really not interested. They'd rather be on Facebook than to listen to the message. They'd rather be on, on Instagram and, and take pictures of things than to listen to what God has to say. And, and those folks, they, they look like they, they're here and they're interested, but they're really not. How can they understand the scriptures when they read it? Folks, when we haven't when we haven't given our lives to Jesus, we're on the outside and we can't understand what it is he has for us. You know what we do? We will want an understanding by the world. We want to understand something. Then we choose whether we want to receive it or not. Well, God doesn't work that way. This is a walk of faith. We have to trust him and then he'll give us the understanding. You can read this Bible if you're lost all you want. You're not going to understand what God has for you until you give your life to him. And then he opens up your eyes. He opens up your ears and you can hear and see what God has for you. That's why so many don't understand why we get so excited about church, why we get so excited about music, why we get so excited about the word of God because they can't understand. Their eyes haven't been opened. Their ears haven't been opened because their hearts are hard. You know, this reminds me of, of Judas. He had every opportunity. 
to truly receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. He listened to Jesus' preachings and teachings. He witnessed the miracles, his compassion, his tenderness, his commitment to God the Father. And still Judas rejected him. And it cost him everything. The seed didn't just fall on the wayside. It also fell on stony ground. This represents a a rootless heart. This person has a superficial experience. You know what we like to say? They had an emotional experience with the Lord. <laughs> yes, they, they hear the word of God and they get excited over it. They profess faith in Christ, but they fail to count the cost of being a disciple. They fail to spend time in God's word and allow his word to be a guide to their life. And they fail to be rooted and grounded in God's word. And whenever life's trouble comes... They find them reverting back to what they know. Second Peter 2 and 22, Peter describes them this way. He says, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. In other words, nothing took root to where you know that, that there's a way out of this. You know, there's no temptation that we will be brought to the where God has not provided a way of escape. But if we don't spend time in God's word, we can't see how to escape these troubles. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. They just turn up some of the ill weeds onto the surface. (laughs) Luke's gospel speaks of a group such as this. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, Luke records that someone come up to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another come up to him saying that he would follow Jesus. But they needed to go bury their father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said he would follow Jesus, but he wanted to say goodbye to his family. And Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Look, it's going to be him or none. He's going to be number one or you won't have him. He'll be Lord of your life or he won't be in your life. That's who he is. He's a jealous God. And we'll have one God, him, and besides him, there is no other. The Bible says here that the seed fell among thorns. And this represents the love of the world. (laughs) This is the person who receives the word of God and truly professes to live for Christ. He or she gets involved in all All the life of the church. The problem is that this person has no desire to separate themselves from the world. No, I'm not talking about how they dress. I'm talking about how we live our lives. 
So this person becomes part of the family of God. You can't look at his or her life and see any fruit of faith in Christ. Jesus tells us in John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, this reminds me, and it's not in my notes, but it reminds me of Lot's wife. Doesn't it remind you of her? You know, they're on their way out of a city that is being destroyed by God because of the wickedness within the city. And she had such a longing for the city, she turned back and suffered the consequences of it. Oh, folks. (laughs) We... (sighs) Yeah... These are the kind of people the seed falls upon from time to time. The seed that fell on good ground represents the honest, true, and the pure heart. Yeah, this is the person who genuinely believes in Jesus. And because of the gifts and the abilities that God has given them. And because they have surrendered their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. Their lives are fruitful. Some may bear more fruit than others, but their lives are fruitful. I got to let you go. Can I give you three takeaways? Let me give you three areas of application. This is a different, I know it's kind of hard to take notes with this message, but it's a little different. I've struggled with it all week. But this is what I, I... Really, if you don't get nothing else I've said, get these three things. And if you don't get the first two, make sure you get the last one. Because these are the truths that I think this scripture wants us to see. First, we must recognize that Jesus takes the initiative. (laughs) Here in this parable, it's Jesus who is sowing seed. You know what the ground didn't do? It didn't say, hey, I'll go to where you're at. Wouldn't that have been something? I'll go over where you're at. Just keep the seed there for me. Keep my seed there. No, Jesus went out and he started sowing seed. He took the initiative. You know what he did? He took the initiative with you too. Because when you were dead in the trespass of your sins through the power of the Holy Spirit, he came and he got next to you. He got in your sleep. He got in your food. He got in your walk. He got in your job. He got into something in your life to where he made himself real, to where you recognize that he is God and besides him there is no other. And you found yourself lost and undone in need of a Savior. Whether you were at home, whether you were on the job, whether you on a ball field, whether you're in a church like this, but Jesus took the initiative and called you to him. But you know what he did before that? He left heaven. He come to earth. He died on a cross. He lived the life no one else could live. So he died for your sin and my sin. They buried him and on the third day he rose up for our victory and he's still taking the initiative to call people today. He takes the initiative. (laughs) Well, Jesus today is at the right hand of the Father. 
And he's making intercession for you and I. So who, do, who has to take the initiative? His children. Those who belong to him. We respond to him by taking the initiative and going out into the world and sharing the gospel. Yes, we want people to come to our Sunday school and we want them to hear from the teachers and at a lectern. We want them to come to our worship service and we want them to hear in a pulpit. But we also, that doesn't negate our responsibility to go out into the world and to share the gospel with the world. We have the responsibility to go into our workplace, to go into our communities, to go into our families' homes, in our neighborhoods, to share the gospel with them. We must take the initiative. If we're going to sit and wait for people to come to us, Folks, this is a place where we get encouraged. This is a place where we become empowered. This is the place where we become equipped to go out and do the ministry. And when we catch hold of that, we'll find ourselves seeing a mission field outside of the walls of places like this. Yes, Jesus took the initiative, and we are to take the initiative to share the gospel. In this parable, we notice that Jesus is also persistent. And we must be persistent in sharing his word. Yeah, there are times when it seems like, well, preacher, we share and we share and we share and nothing's happening. Well, when we face those times, you know what we need to do? Continue to share. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 and 11, so my word, so my word be that it goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing in which I sent it you know we don't give the increase we plant we water and God gives the increase so what if so what they reject us they reject our message of the gospel big deal why does that discourage us because they rejected Jesus and they rejected his message and he told it much better than we can (laughs) It was his message. Many rejected his word. But he kept sharing. You know, it went by the wayside. It went by stony ground. It got choked out. And then there was some that bore fruit. Folks, we've got to be persistent. If Jesus was persistent in sharing his word, we must be persistent. Aren't you glad someone was persistent with you? Man, I'm so glad that somebody kept praying for me. I was so lost and so undone. I, I was in such a mess that I'm convinced through the prayers of the righteous, God reached down and pulled me up. But he didn't just do that to me. I don't know what ages you were when you got saved, but you were on your way to hell. And Jesus stepped in. Somebody had been praying for you. We must be persistent. We must not give up on anyone. I know it may look like a waste, a waste of time, a waste of energy, a waste of resources. 
There's some people who are going to do what they can to, to take advantage of a situation when a church reaches out. I know that. So what? They nailed Jesus to the cross. What's a couple hundred dollars for this church to meet a need knowing that we may never see that person? What's, what is it? We are to be persistent. We can't stop because one person wants to take advantage of us. We can't stop because one person rejects the message. We can't stop because somebody says, I don't want to have nothing to do with that. We keep going and we share the gospel. We must be persistent. And here's the main point. You can disagree with this whole message. I don't know how you can, but you can if you choose to. But this is, the one, this is the main point Jesus is making. This is what I want you to leave here with, if nothing else. Is that we need to check our heart. We need to have a receptive heart to the gospel. When he speaks of soils here, he's speaking of the hearts of people. He's telling them it's almost as if he's broken. That people are rejecting him. And he's reminding these disciples and those who were with the disciples to have a receptive heart. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, until you open your heart to receive Jesus, you cannot grasp all that he has for you. He loves you. He died for you. He rose to give you victory. And he give, he's got a place prepared for you. You know, the Bible tells us that hell enlarges itself daily. It doesn't say that about heaven. What it says is that Jesus went away to prepare a place for us. Hell wasn't created for man. Hell was created for Satan and his angels. But because man is choosing, they're going to live their life in such a way to where hell will be their destination. It's having to enlarge itself. Because it wasn't meant for those who were there. But heaven, God fixed it to where it's large enough for whosoever will to come and receive you got to open your heart you can't grasp this truth you can't grasp the depth the height the width the length of his love and how he desires you until you trust him you got to trust him first and by faith when you receive him you'll receive sight <laughs> and you'll be happy all the day as they come to prepare this song of invitation, let me ask, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, those of you here today who are unsaved, let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he is the son of God? Do you believe that he died for your sin? Do you believe that he rose in victory from the grave? Do you believe that if you ask him, he will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness?
Oh, if you believe this today, if you believe he'll save you, if you ask him, forget about what you can't do. Forget about your fear of messing up. If you believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, then just right now, trust him to be Lord of your life. Trust him with what you're afraid of and let him take care of it. Preacher, I don't want to make a mockery of God. Trust him to lead you, to guide you, to direct you. Well, preacher, I don't want to give my life to him and turn back. Trust him to keep you, to secure you. Trust him to place you in the palm of his hand. Trust his strength that there's not enough devils in hell that can pluck you out of his hand.